Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Think Like a Breadwinner with Jennifer Barrett. The narrative too often is that women don't really need to take full responsibility for our finances. And by extension, that means our future too, because if you're dependent on someone else financially, you have less agency over your life. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Jennifer Barrett, an award-winning journalist and best-selling author with more than a decade of management experience at platforms like CNBC Digital, Acorns, and Daily Worth. In April of 2021, Jennifer released her newest book, Think Like a Breadwinner, a wealth-building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less. Since its release, Think Like a Breadwinner has been billed as a manifesto for the working woman. Barrett's call to action challenges women to harness the power that a breadwinner mindset creates. It includes advice on building wealth and finding balance, as well as research-backed ideas for harnessing financial freedom. On today's episode, we'll learn all about how to reframe what it really means to be a breadwinner and how Jennifer has adopted this philosophy into her own life. My hope is that you'll leave the conversation feeling inspired, empowered, and equipped to begin shifting your own money story. I'm so pleased to welcome to today's Money Stories conversation, Jennifer Barrett. And I know that uh, our listeners are gonna enjoy hearing Jennifer's thoughts. We have something in common a real passion and interest on women and money. And so I'd love to start really with you, Jennifer. And again, thank you so much for joining us by just hearing you talk a little bit about your own money story, kind of how did you learn about money growing up and and what does financial literacy and confidence about money mean to you? Sure, and and thank you so much for having me. I think, as you mentioned, I'm so passionate about these subjects, and it was, it's always nice to to meet um, a kindred spirit and to have the opportunity to talk about this. So thank you. Um, I think my money story is is pretty similar to a lot of women's. Um, my parents, I think, certainly tried to teach me the basics. You know, how to open a bank account, how to budget, not to spend more than you make. Um, But as I talk about in my book, research shows that parents actually talk differently about money to their daughters than they do to their sons. So they tend to focus on budgeting, banking, shopping smarter with their girls, which was certainly true for me. Um, While they're more likely to teach their sons about how to invest, how to build credit, how to manage their finances, and those are really the skills you need to be able to provide for yourself and and maybe a family one day. So I think like as with most well-intentioned parents, when they talk about money with their girls, my parents had sort of an underlying assumption that I would not ultimately need to take care of myself financially, at least not for life. So like many women, I wasn't raised to be a breadwinner, but to marry one. And it was only much later in my early 30s, after I had a a bit of a wake-up call, that I began to shift my mindset and and started to take control of my finances and take responsibility for creating the future that I wanted. So interesting. So in one way, your parents and you you know, thought they were doing a great job teaching you some of this, some of the uh, concepts, skills, Mm -hmm. but really the approach you realized when you got really into your adult life that the approach was, was missing something for, for you and for other women. So what was that, 
then that money story had a moment when it when it shifted for you then you you mentioned mm -hmm. in your 30s what happened yeah i um i mean i think there were a few messages that my parents gave me that they maybe did not intend to which was you know my mom was always a huge advocate of going after what i love and having you know she said i could do anything i wanted career-wise pursue my passion so for example you know my passion was journalism the conversation that we didn't have around that was how little you get paid as a journalist and so i think in a lot it was more like an omission mm -hmm. of some of the you know i think some of the um the information that would have been really helpful. But the second part of that was that there really was no urgency around it. Um, at least I felt no urgency. I sort of thought as long as I keep my head above water, um, I'm doing okay. And, and once I get married, you know, we'll be sharing all these responsibilities and the pressure will be off me. Um, and when I, you know, I, the wake up call I had was we, we had a, an 18 month old toddler, our, our oldest son, and I had a moment where I was pacing back and forth one night trying to put him back to sleep and looking around at our little one bedroom apartment. <laughs> we were sharing our bedroom with our son who was 18 months old at the time. He was like three feet from the end of our bed. Um, and I had this moment of realization that this was not sustainable. And uh, what were we going to do? I, I kind of realized in that moment that I'd been sort of floating along, just assuming that things would work out without really um, taking action myself to make it happen. And I started to question, you know, a lot of the assumptions that I'd had because I'd always felt I was pretty independent. But I realized that subconsciously I had been kind of waiting for my husband to get the raise or get a new job to to save enough money for us to um, to have a place of our own and to afford a second child which we both really wanted and you know he had his own financial challenges and in that moment of clarity that night I realized that I couldn't be passive anymore um, when it came to planning financially for our future it just hit me like a ton of bricks and the next morning I woke up and wrote out what I wanted, like what was most important to me in our future. And it was being able to stay in New York City um, and raise our, our family there, um, having a second child and having a place of our own, even if it, you know, we wanted to buy, but at least having a place that was big enough to accommodate a growing family. Um, and I started looking at what that would cost and, and uh, at the moment had a, a breakdown <laughs> because it was just such a gaping, <laughs> it did, it was such a, it was such a, a gaping space between where I was financially at that point and where I realized I needed to be. But in that clarity, I also felt a lot more motivation to, to get there because the, that was so important to me. And so that um, suddenly that began to um, really inform the choices I made around money and in my life. And ultimately it transformed my life entirely. Well, certainly in a positive way. <laughs> thanks, thanks to you and this, um, changing mindset you really took this personal experience into your career as well mm -hmm. I did. and now of course we're going to talk a little bit more about your book but a few minutes ago you you touched on some of the differences in your in your view and your experience that men and women hear mm -hmm. what are some of those differences and You've sure. talked about some of the implications by using your own example. What are some of those differences specifically? Yeah, I think the narrative too often is that women don't really need to take full responsibility for our finances. And 
by extension, that means our future too, because right. if you're dependent on someone else financially, you have less agency over your life. Um, and I'm really trying to dismantle this narrative that women don't and shouldn't take full responsibility to create the lives that they want. And that's ultimately what's, what's at the heart of this. Um, you know, we know that it's critically important for women to be able to build their own wealth, but it doesn't have to be a slog. There's real freedom and power that comes with that. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Um, you know, there's this assumption that women don't have the confidence and women don't have the know-how, you know, that um, women don't need to take responsibility for investing and building their wealth. Um, but the data actually shows that we have the competence, competence. <laughs> we just may lack the confidence. Um, and I think, you know, women are perfectly capable of getting the information that they need in order to make good choices financially. It's out there. Um, the shift that has to happen is really in the way that we see ourselves and the way that our, our culture sees women and women's roles. It's so interesting to me to hear you speak about this. I'm a lot older than you and always thought it was just my generation. You know, I went to college in the 70s and we were just thinking about getting a career at all. Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the some of the things that you've mentioned were very true in my generation, but it it really is stunning to hear that in your generation, these issues remain a challenge. And so I'm so interested in your framing it as really the need to shift our mindsets. Mm -hmm. And is there anything, and as you've had this, I'm sure challenging, but also really interesting experience of preparing for your book, what's some of the research that you've uncovered? And is there anything about that that surprised you or just reaffirmed your own experience of any of the research? Oh, God, yes. Um, I, I mean, I have to tell you, when I was writing this book, I was having my own breakthroughs. Um, you know, I'm a journalist by training, I think so, uh, even though that's not my, my current role. But um, my nature is to just deep dive into the research. And, and I had the time with this pandemic working from home allowed me a little more flexibility to, to take that time too. And I would read these studies and realize, oh my gosh, this applies to me. Even with, you know, even as I, I thought my awareness has evolved so much over the past decade since I moved into the breadwinner role, I mean, even I'll, I'll give one example is uh, office housework and this tendency that women have to take on the office housework, um, to take on the work that is less valued, lower profile, um, less likely to, to lead to a promotion. And there was just tons of research around that. And as I was reading through it, you know, when I read through it initially, I read it as a journalist and not looking at it, how it might apply to my own life. But then I was reading about scenarios and realized, oh my God, I've done this myself, mm -hmm. even, even at this point where I feel like, you know, I have so much awareness around this. So I think, um, you know, that was one, one area where there was just a lot of research about, um, and, and I think that's a result of the way that we view women and, and what we have been teaching women is to be, you know, you're sort of raised to be agreeable and to go the extra mile and to, to, um, to, assume that you will be rewarded for doing that extra work and while that may be true at school it certainly is not always true in your career um, you know so if you're expending a tremendous amount of energy taking on a lot of work outside of your core competencies or the core work that you will be measured on it actually does you a disservice 
Um, but we do a lot of these things unconsciously and we don't realize you know, the impact that it could have. Um, that's just one example, you know, there's, there, and there's tons of research around uh, women and money and um, the way that we have sort of portrayed investing is as a, you know, investing in the stock market has been widely portrayed as a man's game for mm -hmm. decades. Um, I think that's shifting. Um, and there's sort of an unnecessary amount of, of I would say, maybe not complexity, but uh, there's a there's a sense that investing is so difficult um, that you are going to have to hire somebody else to do it for you, and I think that that's just complete, completely bogus, um, and has done us all a disservice, not just women, but but particularly women, because if if we have not been raised to learn how to invest, and we already have some a lack of confidence and and uh, urgency around it, the additional barrier of feeling like wow, we don't know how to do this, and it's going to take so much effort to learn, will just turn a lot of women off from investing. And we see what happens then is that women invest less, we invest later. And, you know, one of the data points that I, I um, highlighted in my book was the fact that single women have about a third the wealth that single men do. And that is sort of the, 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 the result of that. Or you could, you could um, take that out to retirement. And we have this data showing that women are 80% more likely than men to, to end their lives in poverty. You know, so this, this plays out over the decades and even, you know, even waiting five, 10, 15 years to start investing means that women are playing catch up and we also know that women are earning less than men. So, you know, that puts even more pressure on us. Um, well, and it also raises the level of importance. In, right. in so, so let's, let's say that, that, so you're, you're convincing us <laughs> the math is there, the data is there, it is. the reality is there in so many the lives of so many women and as you've been working on your book and preparing for it of course the pandemic as you mentioned mm -hmm. has um has been occurring and i don't want to be too depressing here but do you think that the pandemic will um how do you think the pandemic will affect this issue for women or do you have mm -hmm. any well, it's still early and I'm sure oh, no, I have some thoughts. years for the research <laughs> to come out on that, but sure. Um, just uh, in your conversations with friends or colleagues, has there been any, any disproportionate effect on women? I mean, I, I think part of it is that we just assume that women are going to, are going to pick up the slack. I know. And yeah. we really need to stop assuming that women will just pick up the slack, that we will quit our jobs to care for the kids, to provide homeschooling, et cetera. Um, Companies and our culture need to acknowledge that childcare is not solely a woman's issue or responsibility. It is a parental issue. And if, um, you know, if this pandemic has proven anything, it's that we can work as productively, remotely, and flexibly as we did at the office, maybe even more right. productively. Um, so my, I am more optimistic, I think, than some. There, there have been some, you know, so many headlines. And, and the headlines are based on surveys, so I think a lot of women really are feeling this, is that all this progress that we were making, you know, at the end of last year, for the first time, there were more women in the workforce than men, you know, so there, there was this feeling that we had a lot of momentum behind us here and more women moving into leadership and um, that a lot of that progress has been impeded by the pandemic because a disproportionate number of women simply just dropped out of the workforce or dropped from full time to part time to uh, in order to, you know, to be home with the kids and helping with homeschooling and all of that. Um, 
But, but I'm hopeful. I think we're going to see, we have such pent up ambition and hopes. And, and I think the moment that women are able to unleash that again, we're going to see a, a surge in, in women moving back into the workforce and you know, with more intentionality than ever before. And I also hope that the recognition that we are able to work effectively remotely prompts more parents and more, you know, and more non-parents to sort of acknowledge the benefits of a more flexible schedule, not just in terms of emotional wellness, but in terms of job performance. So I don't think, I actually don't think we're going to go back to the way we were operating before. I think what's really changed in this pandemic is that, you know, with a lot of men working at home now, a lot of fathers, they are, they cannot avoid seeing the amount of work mm -hmm. it takes to run a household. So for those, and this is not, I mean, there are many men that, that are very actively right. involved in raising children and, and helping to run the household. But for those who weren't, you know, they got sort of a front row seat to, right. oh my God, the amount of, you know, the amount of responsibilities you have to juggle at home. And, and also insight into, you know, the, the benefits of working from home and, and having a little bit of flexibility. And so I hope that we take all these learnings when we move back to whatever the new normal is and we're able to integrate some of that into our, our work culture and the way we think about work going forward so that it's more supportive of parents generally and, and more supportive of non-parents too in, in terms of having a life and a little more balance. So you're, you're pointing to opportunities, which I, I think is so important as we go forward and using this period of disruption, if you will, yep. to have some new habits and new mindsets. And so you're providing, you know, your readers when you're, when we see your book, uh, and I, I think April 6th is coming mm -hmm. up, the uh, uh, release date, and your book, Think Like a Breadwinner, a wealth building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less, which sounds like a great recipe to me, for sure. <laughs> and so how, as, as readers anticipate this, how do you think your book is going to give them some tips to really take forward? They, they're gonna, you're going to help us know the research. Now, as you say, we're entering a, a period where we can make some changes. What are some learnings Sure. Um, that you think you're going to be sharing? Yeah, I think I think we actually have a huge opportunity here. Um, and one other thing I would I would just note from this pandemic is that those women who did feel they had to quit their jobs um, because they they didn't have the childcare, their kids were home and young um, and needed that supervision. I mean, one reason is because they weren't earning as much as their husbands. Right, when one parent has to stay home, it's usually because that parent is the one who earns less. Um, and so I think that was another kind of stark reminder that you could be very ambitious in your career and derive so much value from it. Um, but there is a financial component here too. Um, and one of the things that happens when you are, um, you know, embracing a breadwinner mindset and really thinking about getting paid for the value you bring and building wealth and, and building a, a, a career that is both rewarding and, and well compensated um, is that you, you have more choices there. Um, that's a pretty stark example and I realize that there are other variables that play there too, but um, it is a reminder when I talk to women who had to make that difficult decision, the amount of frustration they felt at being yanked out of a career that they really cared about um, was palpable. And um, so I'm positive that they will move. I'm optimistic they'll be able to move back in. I don't think this is 
um, going to disrupt the progress that was already being made. But to, to your point, to your question, I think the book is really designed to be a roadmap to help readers get to a place where they feel confident about their finances and their future, no matter what their financial situation looks like today. So it's, it's really intended to help um, readers expand their thinking about their capabilities and the possibilities for their life and, and look at how to move beyond just covering the bills um, and saving a little for retirement to truly taking care of yourself and having fun fulfilling your dreams. So really that's aspirational. A, yes. It's being very, more aspirational. Very. Yes. Because we've tackled so many other topics as women. I mean, <laughs> so many other challenges. Yeah. Um, educational opportunities are greater now than, you know, than, than they were. You mentioned some other career opportunities that, you know, that you've seen in your, you know, in your time. And so now it's really a matter of doing it right. And your tips are going to be so important. You mentioned confidence. As mm -hmm. you think about what it, what in, was involved when you began to really embrace these conversations in your own family. Mm -hmm. Is that part of confidence too? Really learning how to have those conversations with whoever it is in your life. If there is someone, you know, involved with your financial decisions, that's part of confidence too, that, those conversations. Oh, sure. Sure, being, um, being engaged with mm -hmm. your finances is absolutely critical. Um, being aware the financial decisions, being involved in the financial decisions, no matter who's making more money in a, you know, in a relationship is, is critical. I, I think it really comes down to just feeling agency over your life and your future and ensuring that you are moving closer to the future that you want um, and, and not kind of making assumptions or, or moving forward um, with those assumptions that someone else is going to get you there, but really right. feeling like you're in a position to bring the future you want to life without really needing to depend on someone else to make that happen. So you're really describing achieving financial literacy in a very, in a very broad mm -hmm. sense. One of my concerns has always been that in terms of specific skills, I don't think our schools really, really tackled this yet in terms of the actual skills or classes to teach some of the money skills. The confidence, as you mentioned, is so important. You were able to get the competent side pretty much on your own. Did you have a financial mentor uh, beyond your parents or really did you, you know, just tackle it, Jennifer, and, and learn the skills yourself? Well, I had the advantage of, uh, I, I began covering personal finance as a reporter, so that was, <laughs> was certainly good. helpful. Um, but I don't think you need to have that advantage, really, um, the information is there and I think there are really just some basic steps to take mm -hmm. I mean just tactically is is you know if you if nothing else if you can live on 80% of your income and invest and save the rest um, you will set yourself up pretty well and just getting into that habit as early as possible and, and um, setting that money aside consistently and then increasing the amount you invest as you know as you uh, as your income grows, but it's really about like forming those habits pretty early on. Like for me, I, I was actually a reporter. I was starting to cover that before I had my big breakthrough. So it wasn't like a lack of information. It was like a lack of impetus for me. And once I, once I realized how important it was to me and, you know, and it was not an easy transformation. I had to make some sacrifices, um, obviously because there was a big gap there between where I was financially and where I needed to, to be. Um, but that was 
really the, the critical distinction was mm-hmm. the, the awareness of where I was and where I wanted to be and the financial gap between them. And then it was, how do you, how do you close that financial gap? Um, and then that's, some of that is, you know, learning a little bit more about investing and, and saving in a high yield account and just being aware of some of those, um, I wouldn't say hacks so much as just being aware that there's there, you know, you can put your money some places that are going to bring you more return than other places. But that is something you can read about. And frankly, if you just mm-hmm. invest in an S&P 500, you know, exchange traded fund, and you can literally just Google that, find one that you like and put money in it, that you're essentially investing in 500 different companies in the S&P 500 index. And so your, your um, returns should mm-hmm. match pretty closely the returns that we talk about when we talk about the stock market generally. Um, if you do nothing else but that, you know, put... 15%, 10 or 15% of your income there. Make sure you're investing in your 401k, at least enough to get the match your employer might offer. And then saving enough to cover, you know, unexpected expenses and building that up to being able to cover three, three or more months of uh, expenses. You'll be in pretty good shape. So that, you know, that doesn't take 300 pages <laughs> to right. talk about. Right. I, so that's why for me, I felt like there's so much out there already about this. There are so many personal finance books. And what I grappled with as a journalist and just in my own life when I realized, you know, that, that all my money choices had basically been based on the assumption that I would get married and that my husband would take on most of the financial responsibility was that, you know, we have all the information. Why are we still making these money choices that don't serve us? And so that, that's really what I'm trying to get at in the book is how do you, how do you shift your mindsets and mindset and what are some steps that you can take? to start making money choices that bring you closer to the future that you want. Well, I, I think this is a, such an important message and it really can be a breakthrough, I think, Jennifer, mm-hmm. because we can sometimes hide behind, I don't have the information, no one taught me, all of those things, which may be true, but I think what you're helping us and uh, be aware of and, and really pay close attention to and accept is that it is our responsibility Mm -hmm. that the information is out there, that it's really our responsibility. And so this whole notion of mindset, I think you really have come upon an amazingly powerful way to to address the question. So we we thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, just in closing out our conversation, I'd love to just make sure our guests know how to find you and sure. how to learn even more about you and your work. Uh, well, at the website, jenniferbarrett.com. I'm on Twitter, at jbarrettnyc, and on Instagram. I'm out there and, and on LinkedIn and, um, you know, and always open to, you know, I'm, I'm approachable, <laughs> I'm accessible. Um, and of course, the book comes out in April. And we'll be doing a, a virtual launch and a, a book tour to follow virtual, probably. Terrific. Well, <laughs> I know um, I certainly look forward to it. And again, just thank you for your long career in covering personal finance, but really with this one and taking so much learning from your own life and really, really leveraging it to what I know is going to be such an important opportunity for us all to be very candid with ourselves about our own, our own money stories. So thank you, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity and the kind words. See you soon.
Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at lindadavistaylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time, 